Thank you for listening to Bringing Light into Darkness. We now return to our interview with Dr. Aisha Juman regarding the greatest humanitarian crisis in the world, that of Yemen. Enjoy. Yeah, it's, it's very important. It seems that we've already said that according to the United Nations, around 400,000 people have died. Some 16 million are on the brink of starvation in this country. You know, the American public, I believe, in their hearts and in our souls, are incredibly humanitarian and righteous people. But like you just said, among many other things that you've said already, there's just a blackout of information. This you know, you don't even see a, a single coverage of Yemen year after year after year after year in, in newspapers or on TV. And I think also this Saudi-led bombing campaign that it's increasingly become evident that they are targeting infrastructure. They are targeting the life support industries of Yemen. These are the greatest war crimes that there are. It's so cowardly to just be dropping bombs from thousands of feet in the air in a country that cannot even retaliate against those types of advanced equipment. Yet somehow the resistance against these forces is so great that it seems to me there must be great support by the the Yemenese people must be seeing much more clearly who the real enemies are. In a couple of articles, I've read several of the articles that you have been quoted in and have been part author too. I thought, again, one of the things that is so important, because on this show, Bringing Light into Darkness, we cover most all of the foreign policy interventions throughout the world, led by the West for all of these decades. And the biggest common denominator, and you've already kind of touched on it, but you mentioned it pretty eloquently in some of your writings, is the way the media fails to cover or the way it creates imaging in, in such a way that the U.S. media imaging creates a disproportionate amount of media coverage and sympathy, is, I think with your words, to the Saudi, UAE, United Arab Emirate aggressions and such. And so instead of really focusing on this unconscionable levels of violence in the, in the most vulnerable young little kids and, and women and elderly in, in, in Yemen that take the brunt of this, Instead of that being the sole and major focus, which it should be, somehow the focus gets diverted to some false political back and forth type of thing. Can you explain a little bit more how, in your experience, the media has disproportionately created media coverage that's in sympathy to the Saudi UAE aggressions? Because I think it's important for the American public and the listening public to the show to see how we are manipulated as American citizens away from the truth by these powerful forces of of idea shaping. Yeah, actually, thank you. One thing I want to say about the 400,000 dead in Yemen that the UN had reported, I want to point out that we don't have death for just those in Yemen. And the majority of people, actually most of them, uh, if not all, they die in their homes. And so if you die in your home, there is no way for anybody to know that you've died. So those who die of infectious diseases, those who die of famine, nobody's counting those. So when the UN is saying 400,000, that is actually a huge underestimate. Based on my expertise as a public health professional, I would say we have over a million people in Yemen who have died 
because no one is counting the hundreds of thousands who are in their villages at the top of the mountains. And nobody is saying that these people have died because we don't have death statistics. We don't have death certificates. Going back into the proportionality, and that is, you know, the Saudi have been bombing Yemen with U.S. You know, aircraft, with U.S. weapons, uh, with U.S. logistics, with U.S. support. You know, since 2015, we know Human Rights Watch had sh- uh, shared that, uh, Amnesty International, that many of these have been considered war crimes, whether it's on a wedding, uh, they targeted several weddings. They've targeted a funeral hall, killing over 100 people. They've targeted a school bus of Yemeni children in which 40 died, majority of them less than 10 years of age. They were on a field trip. Uh, They've targeted schools. They've targeted, as I said, farms. They've targeted homes. A lot of people uh, have died in their homes. And this is a country that doesn't have the equipment when, you know, when a house is you know, bond and, and people are in it, the people use their bare hands to get the survivors out. And if they are survivors in the first place. So it's, it's been atrocious. And yet very few coverage of those things. Actually, Columbia University just published in the Washington Post just last week about 90 airstrikes that are considered war crimes in Yemen. And yet, you know, it took that many years for students at Columbia University to compile that data and bring it out. So yet, as I said, all of these have not been covered. Uh, Markets, uh, you know, in Yemen, they have, like in many other countries, they will have a, a weekly market where all the villagers come and it's like a farmer's market, you know, sell their stuff. They've, you know, targeted all those markets. And yet those atrocities, the war crimes have not been covered and the U.S. government has not said anything about them. Yet when the Houthis, after many years, when they were able to develop some drones, which they used to retaliate against the Saudis and the Emiratis. So they have, you know, launched, I think, once towards the Emiratis drones and a few times towards Saudi Arabia. It was all over the news. That's and right. The government right. was condemning it and, you know, it's unacceptable. And if you look at you know, even deaths from those attacks, they're negligible compared to the, the hundreds of thousands in Yemen who have died. And Quincy Institute actually uh, published a report about that, showing the number of airstrikes on Yemen and then the, you know, the retaliations by the Houthis against the Saudis and the Emiratis, and they, they just pale in comparison. I think that's a, an incredibly important point because what you see, and I can remember from the Obama administration right on through the Trump and Biden administrations, is the coverage of all of that that you just said takes the form of Saudi Arabia has a right to defend itself. You know, yes. you have billions and billions and billions of, of dollars and bombs dropped on this poor little nation, uh, they can manage to put up in a, you know, a small little air force of some drones that can strike at the heart of some of the oil refineries or to indicate, look, there's going to be a cost for this indiscriminate bombing, that type of thing. It's, it's like David and Goliath type of thing. 
But the image, again, is, is much different to the American public because of the way the media is covered. And I think the way the media covers it is goes back to the really important point you made earlier in the show about how think tanks, but also lobbying firms, public relation firms are hired by this extraordinary unending money pit that comes out of Saudi Arabia and common interests of, of Gulf nations and such that then just kind of create this whitewashing of what we're talking about. I just wanted to remind our listeners that we are visiting with the distinguished Dr. Aisha uh, Juman. And I wanted to ask you to continue to bring to light things that you think most Americans are not aware of, but also there was an article back in 2021 of April, April 14th, I think was the date. And it was an article that was speaking to some CNN reports, and it was indicating how at that time, and this, of course, 2021 was just last year. So during the Biden administration, there was concern by many progressive activists that we were not putting more pressure on Saudi Arabia to end this terrible blockade of Yemen. So on top of the bombing, you have this blockade and the report was talking about how the Saudi warships were blockading the Yemeni coast and how the Biden administration was saying, well, it's not really a blockade and that any restrictions that are in place aren't coming directly from the Saudis, but mainly from the, the Yemen internationally recognized government. Once again, it seems to me that there is a very disingenuous presentation of a unacceptable form of sanctioning and blockading that has contributed to all of these uh, hundreds of thousands. And like you said, you know, that's a very conservative estimate, the 400,000. The bulk of the people dying are dying of, of preventable diseases and starvation and those types of things. That are a result. Not just at the targeting of the infrastructure of Yemen by these Saudi planes supported by U.S. logistics, but also unconscionably this blockade that is pretty much ignored by the U.S. government. Can you enlighten us as to this argument that somehow the Yemenese government has some liability for this blockade? Can you separate out the fact from the fiction? Sure. The yeah, the U.S. government never admitted that there is a blockade on Yemen. We actually pushed very hard for even them to even recognize there is a blockade. They continuously said there was no blockade on Yemen. And then after the CNN report, they actually then said, oh, it was by the internationally recognized government. Let's just be clear. The Navy ships that stop anything from coming into Yemen are Saudi ships. We don't know if the U.S. ships are also part of that. The U.S. government has not shared any information to enlighten us on this. And then the ships that are cleared by the UN system, because there is a UN system in place that you know, looks at ships to see if they have any arms. And once they are cleared and given a certificate to, to go to Yemen, then the Saudis intercept them after they get the clearance and takes them to the Jaizan port. So I don't think the internationally recognized government in Yemen, first, has the naval ships to owns the Jaizan uh, port, which is a Saudi port, where they uh, leave ships there sometimes up to a year before they allow them to, you know, go to Yemen. If they go to Yemen, many ships have, you know, after being held for months, 
give up on, on trying to go to Yemen and leave. But those who stay also, the, the Yemeni people will have to pay the cost of the delay and the holding of the ships in millions of dollars. So you have a country that economy had been, you know, destroyed. People are 80% of the people in Yemen don't even make a dollar a day. And now you have goods like fuel that gets, you know, detained by the Saudis for months. And when it gets to Yemen, the people of Yemen who are so poor now need to pay for holding these ships hostages at Saudi ports. So a lot of this, and then all points of entry, actually, into Yemen, whether by land, by sea, or uh, by air, are controlled by the Saudi. So we have flights that go into Aden. Before any flight gets to Aden, in and out, they have to get a Saudi permission to fly in and out of Aden. People who fly on, on these flights, mostly Yemenis, have to send in their passports 48 hours to get permission to get on a flight. So me, a Yemeni American, cannot fly to Yemen without getting approval by the Saudi-led coalition. How strangling the blockade is on Yemen. And that's why even reporters who want to travel to Yemen, once the Saudi, you know, get the passports and recognize this person to be a reporter, then they don't allow them in. They block them from flying into Yemen. And a CNN uh, reporter that went and made that report, she is a British reporter. Her name is Nama Al-Baqir. And she actually was smuggled into Yemen from Djibouti because she tried to apply to get into Yemen many times. And of course, because she's a reporter, she was never granted permission. And so she actually put her life at risk to get into Yemen and make that report. Very good. That's so scary, too that they would have such a clear list of who goes in and who comes out. And, you know, we know what the Saudis are capable of when it comes to, you know, torture and dismembering Khashoggi and, and anyone that would speak out against the, the perceived interests of Saudi Arabia. That's incredibly very scary. Let me ask you, in the, in the limited time we have left, I just wanted to promote an understanding and encourage listeners to look at the impact again, on the children in the civilian population of Yemen. And the number of children that are going hungry in Yemen should shock all of us into action. These were the words, the quote of UNICEF Executive Director Henrietta Four: more children will die every day that passes without action. So our ignorance of this situation is an accomplice in a certain form or fashion to this unending situation of, of deprivation and death in Yemen. These humanitarian organizations, the aid was half of the aid that they needed to meet the aid requirements for Yemen. If I remember correct, uh, the diseases and poor health environment are key drivers of childhood malnutrition. This is World Health Organization Director General Dr. Tedros Adhernan Ghebreyesus, he says, quote, at the same time, malnourished children are more vulnerable to diseases, including diarrhea, respiratory infection, and malaria, which are of great concern in Yemen, among others. It is a vicious and often deadly cycle, but with relatively cheap and simple intervention, many of it can be saved. And in the cycle he's talking about, 
of course, is the lack of nutrition, stories of families living on just flour with water and eating leaves off of trees, you know, throughout, throughout Yemen here, you know, well into the 21st century. I just wanted to ask you to, as a doctor and, and as an expert on public health, it's one thing to look at the misery of the world, and it's another to understand how easily it can be prevented. And I guess those two things combined are, from a health perspective, not just the impact of this sanitation problem and, and, and these other deals, but you know, you work with some groups for people that are interested in uh, getting more information, well-vetted information. How can people really access and learn to understand the situation in Yemen? And what do you foresee in the future in this military conflict? Yes. Uh, so two points. When uh, you talked about the status of the Yemeni children, uh, UNICEF and Save the Children and many others have said that every 10 minutes a child dies in Yemen. So in the course of our conversation today, a lot of kids have died. And, and, and that is really a very grim uh, statistics. In terms of finding information about Yemen for health information, Relief Web uh, slash Yemen will have a lot of information. It compiles all the information from all the UN agencies and the humanitarian active, uh, you know, organizations. So it's Relief Web Yemen. Uh, if you, you know, Google that. In terms of activists and a lot of the other issues we talked about, FCNL, the Quakers group in Washington, D.C., has an excellent website uh, in which they put a lot of Q&A, a lot of information, a lot of things that people can do to support Yemen, uh, especially with calling in and ensuring the U.S. ends its support for um, you know, the war in Yemen. So it's FCNL. If they, people can Google FCNL, they will have a lot of information. There are a group of activists, organization also established a website called Every 75 Seconds. This is based on Beasley, David Beasley, who's the head of the World, World Food Program. He visited Yemen in 2021 and basically and briefed Congress and said that every 75 seconds in Yemen, a child dies. So uh, they can check every seven, 75 seconds. 75 is a number. They can check FCNL and they can check Yemen, uh, the relief web Yemen. They can also check our website for YemenFoundation.org for some of the work. Well, let me also just, again, share, we have been really blessed to be spending the last 40, 45 minutes with the Honorable Dr. Aisha Juman. And the doctor has worked in her native home of Yemen with UN organizations. Uh, she's participated in health-related program development and evaluation and training activities. And she's an assistant professor of the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at Sana's University, which is in Yemen, and consulted on research projects in various ministries, including United States Agency for International Development, Save the Children. It's counterintuitive to me. I've watched the State Department and how we have supported many, many governments that provide majority populations of those countries with compromised types of benefits. You know, we're kind of on the wrong side of that issue that it seems that the most profiteering areas of the world are the ones where the people have the least amount of rights type of thing. 
So it's kind of interesting when you look at the United States State Department and these people denying there's a blockade and all of these war mongering types of support that comes out of the State Department. And then you have the United States Agency for International Development, which is a State Department entity. Uh, and certainly, you know, I, I want to make it very clear that there are so many good Americans that work in government positions, and many of them are in the United States Agency for National Development. But when you zoom out of all that and you see what the real impact of many of our State Department programs do with respect to supporting governments that are really not in the better interests of the majority population, it gets kind of confusing and such. But in your last remark, how, how would you explain your experience working with some of these international agencies with people that you know are really good people, but at times maybe uh, the whole agency itself may be driven by hidden influences, if you will? You're pointing out something. I, I do want to say that, that um, people are some of the most generous people in the world. Every time there is a disaster, they are the number one donors uh, individual donors to a lot of uh, relief work. And that is something and that it is very heartwarming and, and it touches my heart. The other thing that is also just said is that uh, a lot of people who work in whether it's the, you know, the, a lot of the health agencies, whether it's the national or international, they're there because they really care about these issues. Very similar to you, Pedro. You know, you're doing this show because you really care about the issue you present to your audience. And the people who follow you and your program care very much about these issues. So we, it's almost like we have to silo ourselves in a way when we're doing this kind of work from the politics of the governments and, and that, that don't fit with our value system uh, or the principles. So, and yes, the USAID and is, is within State Department, but they've done a lot of great work in a lot of different places, you know, and, and the people who work there, they, they work there. The majority, I would say, I wouldn't say everybody, they work there because they really want to make an impact. Well, listen, in the last minute or so that we have with you, if people want to access some of your written work, I didn't properly identify some of the articles that you've authored and, and co-authored and such. But in order to follow your deeply insightful understanding of Yemen and the situation there, how can people continue to follow you? So they can follow me on Twitter uh, and it's at Aisha Juman, my first name and my last name. I, I do a lot on that, but they can also, if, if you Google my name, you're going to see a lot of videos also of presentations have been given over the years on the situation in Yemen. There's a lot of material that's out there, uh, whether it's video or written. But uh, I also, as I said, on Twitter. Very good. So for those people that are unclear, this is Dr. Aisha Juman. That's A-I-S-H-A is a doctor's first name. And J-U-M-A-A-N is Dr. Juman's last name spelling. Okay. Well, thank you so much, doctor, for joining us today. We would love to stay in touch and have you be part of a regular updates throughout the year as to the conditions that occur thousands of miles away and are the victims of billions of dollars of U.S. taxpayers' money in the form of these uh, Saudi arms sales 
and then the support that we've been providing at the same time. So um, thank you for your work and thank you for trying to insulate as best as you can the underlying population of, uh, of Yemen. From the war crimes of Saudi Arabia supported by the U.S. foreign policy. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure to you and your audience. Thank you. Okay, very good. Okay, well, we'll see you next week. Don't be late. Also, we need you to switch on over to the internet if you're not already there to access Lost in Paradise. Coming up next on 91.7 KOOP. It's a show that evolves around laid-back grooves, both old and new, nothing too slow or fast. Enjoy your time with Chad D. As we do every show, we take you out with Land of Naivety. See you next week. Check out the bozo 